Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. We have a very interesting show today, and my guest today is Kira Devine. Kira, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Marie, for having me. Let me tell you a little bit about Kira. She is a 43-year-old married mother of two daughters, ages nine and one. She was raised in Ireland and currently lives there. Kira studied design in Dublin in the mid-1990s, where she subsequently worked in design and communications there in Dublin, Ireland, and London, England as well. In 2009, she decided to change career directions by developing her long-standing interest in food and the environment. She got a master's degree in food policy. In March of 2013, shortly after completing that master's degree, at age 36, Kara was diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer. Following recovery from cancer treatment, she volunteered as a breast cancer patient advocate at Europa Donna, Ireland. Areas of particular interest to her include survivorship issues for younger women, especially those who are having issues with fertility and breastfeeding, and patient involvement in cancer research. All of that, and she is still currently busy at home raising her two daughters. So, uh, once again, welcome to Kira, and welcome to all of you who will be, I'm sure, very interested to hear Kira's story. Kira, before we go to the breast cancer thing, can you tell us a little bit about what was your breastfeeding story before you got your diagnosis of breast cancer? Well, I started out... um not knowing very much about breastfeeding. Um, I was raised like in many Ar- mothers. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And I was raised in Ireland in the 1970s and 80s when um, probably bottle feeding was at its, formula feeding was at its peak. Yes. And I had very little um, ex- up close experience of women breastfeeding. Um, and as I became got older and I was thinking about becoming a mother and um, I did a little bit of research, so, you know, and I figured I went to antenatal classes and there was a breastfeeding workshop for a few hours. And I figured, yeah, this is something I want to do because it's obviously the healthy choice. And I'm going to try and breastfeed. It's always interesting how many women feel they they can only attempt to, to breastfeed. <laughs> Same here in the U.S. I hear that a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's where I was at, like most of the women in the class, probably. And um, and my husband also, Alan, he as usual, was very supportive of my choices, um, but also had no uh, prior experience um, or not much knowledge of breastfeeding. So, um, yeah, so after the after the birth, um, again, like many women, it was a baptism of fire as a new parent. And, 
trying to recover in the postpartum period and also trying to breast trying again to breastfeed. And I think I ran into every problem in the book, um, bar, bar low milk supply. I was lucky I had plenty of milk, mm. but I had all sorts of other problems and um, sought out support and struggled on and got there in the end after about 12 weeks of feeding my daughter, um, whose name is Fia, um, it, it settled down and things were good then. And and then I, you know, I didn't look back. It was it was great. I was it was almost, you know, true to say it was plain sailing and a few bumps in the road here and there. But you know, it was just I was so proud yeah. of myself that I had persisted. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, healthy baby and it was something I was doing for her future health and my future health, I felt. And um so you know, there was just happily breastfeeding uh as she entered toddlerhood. And uh, and I had become really interested in breastfeeding and and quite passionate about it. In fact, um, I returned to finish my master's degree um, in food policy and started to realize that nobody was mentioning breastfeeding when they were talking about food. And it suddenly occurred to me that it was missing <laughs> um, a big piece. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a really big piece. And you know, it's sort of breastfeeding was siloed in in a little world of maybe health policy in terms of. Uh, around the perinatal period and a very sort of niche, if you like, bit of, of health policy. Whereas um, for me, I could see how it, where, you know, where's the environmental uh, links and where's the connection to food security and. Oh, uh, right. So I was starting to look at things with a very different perspective and I'm really very passionate about breastfeeding. And when I finished, I, and so I, I, I researched breastfeeding for my dissertation and I also um, when I finished the master's, I started to volunteer with a group that was looking at world breastfeeding trends and that trying to measure oh, nice. breastfeeding yeah. in the UK. So I was kind of, I guess, hoping to enter a world of uh, campaigning or advocating um, on uh, around breastfeeding. And, and, and then that's, that's where I was when I was diagnosed. I, I want to go to the diagnosed part in just a moment, but uh, Kira, as I hear you talking, I'm thinking that you are one of these people that I say breastfeeding was a life-changing event for you. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know, it's funny because I have met so many of those women in my life and all I need to do is hear even just part of their story. I've only heard part of your story, but I absolutely know that then you wanted to pursue breastfeeding quite apart from what you were doing with your child. You were taking mm-hmm. it into the professional world, the thesis uh, project and so forth. And very often um, I teach both a comprehensive course and a uh, review course uh, in person. I also have one online, but uh, I know that those people who are sitting in front of me Breastfeeding has been a life-changing event for them, and after they weaned their children, they're still doing breastfeeding just in a different way, and Mm -hmm. it sounds like that same kind of thing happened to you. The only thing is with you, you had a toddler who it sounds like you were happily breastfeeding, and about that time, you got your uh, diagnosis of uh, early breast cancer. Am I getting this right? Yes, that's right. She was two years, nine months old when I was diagnosed. Okay. And I How, started out breastfeeding. I had no idea I would be 
breastfeeding for that long. I didn't even know people did breastfeed. Oh. For that long. <laughs> right. I was, and I had no um, kind of planned end date, and and it was tailing off, you know, as it does. And she was sure. just feeding, you know, on waking and before going to sleep, and uh, once or twice during the night. So it was, you know, it was reaching its its own conclusion over time. But um, yeah, so it um, it was. Uh, it was great to be able to do that, you know, to, to be able to have, um, to let it run its natural course, I suppose. Yes. But, but then, yes. then I guess I, I slammed into a wall when, um, uh, I found a lump. Um, at first I thought it was, uh, a blocked duct. Sure. And sure. I remember thinking that's a bit odd. I haven't had one of those for a long time and thought it would, you know, just kept an eye on it and it seemed to go away. And then a couple of weeks later, I noticed again, it was this puckering on the breast, you know, a dimple. Uh, yeah. And I better take a look at that and straight away felt this very discernible lump that, yeah, you know, I just knew this is not meant to be there. That's not, nothing yeah. I felt before. So I went to the, to my GP, my doctor, and um, she referred me straight away to the breast clinic in London. This was while I was living in London. And, you know, I was very lucky because I was living in a country that has um, good healthcare and we, um, I was seen, you know, within two weeks of my GP's visit, I was seen at the breast clinic and it was, um, you know, the best standard world-class care in, in terms of breast cancer um, diagnosis. I had the all the checks you want to have and I had all the scans and um, I can't fault the way that they, they diagnosed my cancer. It was all done to the best standard. Um, but I ran into problems when I needed help when I said you know I'm breastfeeding my my daughter and mm, that mm. was where I, I I think I just um there wasn't any support it, it just felt like there wasn't any um yeah how how did they react Kira well the I suppose anyone who's had a diagnosis of cancer I know anyone can understand it's really shocking and yes yes so in the confusion of trying to figure out what I was being told um, and in the, you know, I still, the forefront of my mind all the time was my daughter and I'm saying, I have a young child and I want to know, was I going to survive this? And they were, you know, reassuring me that, that you know, my chances were good. And, um, but then I, you know, I said, look, I'm breastfeeding. And then they said, okay, you need to stop right away. And it just, I was so shocked and stunned. I was like, well, hold on. I can't just stop right away. You know, this is part of my daughter's emotional uh, well-being. And um, it's something we, it's part of the way I parent. I, it was just so confusing to, to to hear that I had to stop right away. And um, Did they give you any reason or did they just say do it because we said so? Um, it was pretty much do it because you need to do it and, and move on. Oh. Let's move on conversation but I persisted mm-hmm. in asking you know but hang on this is really important and I need you to understand yes. because she's nearly three it doesn't mean it's not going to be a difficult thing to do and um as I pressed the the surgeon um I think she she came out with some fairly choice phrases that really led me to believe she didn't understand the issue and she at one point said the last thing you want right now is a baby hanging off you oh and so I was I was pretty offended by yes, dudes, and um, and obviously I was in shock. Um, the next day, though, the the breast care nurse who was also in the room at the time, 
she phoned me to check in with me and see how I was. And at that point, I had thought about things and I was really quite angry about the way um, the way that on my breastfeeding relationship, my daughter was dismissed, that it just needed to end. And there was no uh, consideration for the impact that was going to have on our family. Um, and I said that to her and I said, you know, if I had walked into the room and, and you had told me I needed a mastectomy, you would have given me all of the supports I would have needed and psychological right. supports about right. if I would like and um, all all of these things would have been deemed to be important to my mental well-being and they're all and rightly so but they are still to do with the appearance of the breast and yet when you're telling me I'm gonna you know potentially lose the function of my breast or breasts I didn't know at that point um there was no support. There was. It was like looking at me blankly. Like, why would I be so concerned about this? You know. So they trivialized breastfeeding, basically. Well, I just think it. It really wasn't considered to be important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that really it it hurt me quite deeply at the time. I'm sure. I'm and sure. I, and because it wasn't considered important, I wasn't offered yeah. any sort of advice or support on the best way, you know, the best way to wean suddenly or. Um, yeah, that was uh, my next question is, did somebody give you some practical tips or refer you to someone who could give you some practical tips? Uh, no, I had to seek that out myself. Oh, my. And because I was, I guess, an established breastfeeder at that point, I had made a circle of support. I had, I was part of a La Leche League group. Oh, good. Oh, and good. I knew the um the local uh, breastfeeding support groups um offered by the public health service so so I, I mean when I got home I immediately rang them I rang my local La Leche League leader and and that was where I got support so I got so much um you know compassion and uh you know that was really important to me that to speak to someone who knew that this was the crisis you know and that yes. this was Yes. And the breastfeeding was a, a really valid concern of mine. And somebody who understood that, it was really important to to have that. And I'll be, yeah, I'll be eternally grateful to them, you know. And she she reached out to um, the Leche League leaders across the world, apparently, on, on some kind of uh, forum they have and to see if she could get me some other advice or any other help. And that was really, really important to me. Did you get the feeling that the fact that your baby was two, almost three years old, did you get the feeling that um, that, that something along the lines of that baby is too old for you anyway, that sort of thing? Or was it just breastfeeding in general, like, uh, it's just food, you can just do it or not do it? Uh, yeah, I, I don't even think anyone even gave it that much thought I think they just thought mm. this is really way down the list of your priorities right now you have to face your cancer get your treatment and you know there's there's something in that that is obviously the priority but you, there are so many other things that um, a woman especially a younger woman has to consider um, when she's embarking on cancer treatment and um, it's nuanced you know it's not black and white and to sort of just yes. say oh, you're breastfeeding scratch that one off um, you know, we're only really lately getting to the point where women's desire to have a pregnancy post-cancer treat, post treatment is recognized as very important. And, in, you know, so breastfeeding, I think, is still a poor cousin. You know, we still need to um, 
get further support for that. Yes, yes. Well, so, and yeah. what what I hear you saying here, there's there's one piece that is important. If you are not surviving and alive to be with that baby, then that baby is not going to be breastfed. Mm-hmm. But the other side of it is, this is in your mind and likely in your baby's mind, a major part of your parent relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it seems to me like that was just dismissed as, oh, it's not a priority. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for teaching. Uh, mm-hmm. This is like not part of what we're having a conversation about at all. And luckily you had some outside help. And when we come back from break, I want to ask you about this weaning. Likely it was uh, a very abrupt weaning. I know that our listeners are going to want to hear all about it. So uh, everybody don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I will be here today with, uh, I, I'm already here today, with uh, Kira Devine. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso. You can find me at MarieBiancuso.com. That's M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. Or if you are a professional and you're looking for a course, I will be offering my comprehensive course very soon. Uh, there will be one in Baltimore. And that one's coming up fairly soon. Or if you're looking to get out of the cold, have a little fun in the sun, join me in Orlando for that comprehensive course. I will be there uh, during the cold season, actually, and you'll be able to get all 90 hours that are required to sit for the IBLCE exam. So if you're interested, come and meet me in person or... If coming in person just isn't realistic for you, remember, I also offer the course online, so please do join me. So speaking of joining, Kira Devine has joined me today to talk about her story of breastfeeding, then being diagnosed with uh, breast cancer, and then I'm going to give Kira a chance to tell you what happens next. So Kira, you were told... You have to wean. You have to do it right away. And I believe that the the doctor's words to you were, at this point, the last thing you need is a baby hanging off from you. So tell us what happened with the weaning. How long did it take you? How did your baby react? And how many tears did you have rolling down your face while you were uh, uh, having this weaning experience? Yeah, it was it was very tough. Um, I, I had three weeks to wean. As I said, you know, how how long do I have? And they wanted me to have surgery in three weeks' time, um, or or at least to be finished in three weeks' time to have surgery. I think within the month. Um, okay. So I, I want to know ex- the maximum number of days I could get, and they said three weeks. So, um, uh, you know, no matter how I felt, and no matter how much I was still kind of unsure, was this really necessary? And all these it's just such you're in turmoil you know you've just had this devastating diagnosis and you don't know what is going to happen next and but I had to just get on with weaning I felt like well I have to begin this and um so I broke it into three weeks you know the first week we was going to be no milk in the the daytime and then the next was going to be um no milk during the night which was pretty awful and then um and then no milk, no more milk at, upon going to sleep. That was the last, uh, mm. the last nursing session was when she fell asleep. And I have a lovely photograph of that. Aww. And so, Kira, how did the baby react? Yeah, so I got this wonderful book from the breast care nurse at the hospital. Um, it was called Mummy's Lump. And it was oh. called uh, Breast Cancer Care, a charity in the UK. And it was a picture book for... Uh, preschool children about you know if you're if it for women in my situation um so it you know it was mostly pictures and some of them a bit funny you know about about all this the stages of treatment and what would happen and 
So I, I immediately, I went home and I immediately um, showed that book to my daughter and we read it together and I explained we were going to have to finish milk because I was going to have some very strong medicine that was going to go into my milk and it would be bad for her. Um, so I, I, she really, I think she got, she understood the logic. Um, it was obviously a bit of a stretch because I wasn't sick, but um, she could see that I had a, a dressing on my breast from where I had the biopsy. And she knew something was happening. I was in the hospital one day. And so, um, and so you, you, you gave her enough information so that from a cognitive standpoint, she could, as much as a two-year two and nine-month-old possibly could, she could understand mm-hmm. that you weren't taking the milk away from her for, for no reason. There was some, some logic here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I told her I didn't want to stop, and it was making me very sad too. And um, so she really seemed to get it. The, the nights were the hardest because obviously everyone's tired, and then you've forgotten all about the logic and the book, and you. <laughs> yeah, right, um, right. But I, I think I just had to steal myself and just do it because there didn't seem any option, you know, any way out, and. Um, yeah, I had a huge amount of support from my husband, as ever. He's amazing. So um, that helped. And um, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I, I did I did wonder, did I need to wean that abruptly? Um, because in the end, I didn't have chemotherapy for um, 12 weeks post-surgery because mm. I had um, a certain uh, genomic test that test the tumor to see if you will benefit from chemotherapy and then I had some fertility preservation treatment and then I had chemotherapy so there was quite a bit of time um I did ask one surgeon you know would it be possible for me to continue to feed on one from one breast because at, at, um at, after a while after a certain test I had done I really they knew it was the cancer was just confined to one breast but um, but he said no. You wouldn't be able to do that. It's it would be too painful. Oh, wow. whoa. Yeah, I mean, but you know, in hindsight, I think there it it was such. My child was you know nearly three. There wasn't a huge amount of milk there. Sure. There wasn't. I wasn't sure. experiencing engorgement or big letdown or you know. I I I wonder about maybe I could have um, just stopped on one side and let that breast dry up and then continued with a more gentle weaning process even six weeks would have been better than three you know um but that's the benefit of hindsight or Mm. it might have been the benefit of having a lactation consultant on my team at the time that might have this conversation might have happened then but um as it was i just as far as i knew i had to get on with weaning immediately and so i did so just for me to get a time frame here, this was about six years ago, right? That's right. Yeah. March okay. 2013 was my diagnosis. Yeah. All right. Because I'm thinking to myself, whoa, how, you know, where, like where in history did this happen? I would like to mm-hmm. believe that by 2013, we would have been able to have a better team, better advice, more options to the mother. But obviously uh, that was not the case. So it, it to some degree, you were feeling like, okay, I might not have weaned or weaned as soon or whatever, but in fact, I have weaned, so probably just leave it as is and move on. But in the meanwhile, 
Uh, tell us about the cancer treatment and the fertility considerations. You just alluded to that. Yeah, so I, I was diagnosed also at the time when I, myself and my husband were, were planning uh, to try to conceive another baby. You know, we were thinking, let's have another and um, bang, this whole happened. So it was really the forefront of my mind. I still wanted to, to have another child. So throughout all my discussions with any of the medical team, I always wanted to know how was this going to, this treatment, how would it impact on my fertility? Um, and breastfeeding. I always, I asked every one of them, you know, I asked the surgeon, what's this going to, it turned out I needed a lumpectomy rather than a, a single mastectomy. So oh. I, wanted, I wanted to know um, if, you know, will I still be able to breastfeed from this side in the future if I'm lucky enough to have another baby and how will the, the surgery affect that? And I asked the radiation oncologist, um, uh, in fact, sorry, correction I asked the surgeon and he he didn't seem too concerned he was like well I don't think that's a problem you know that's not really um something you need to worry about right now he didn't really have much to say on the topic Um, he didn't know (laughs) no he was more concerned about he was impressing upon me how the cosmetic uh effects after the surgery which is important too but he yeah I don't think he really had much um interest or concern about breastfeeding and then I suppose by the time I met the radiation oncologist, I was so kind of fed up and accepting that that breastfeeding was not of anyone's, not on anyone's radar. Um, That's a good and way I, to I put it. Research, and I knew that radiation would really impact uh, future lactation. Yes. Yes. And he didn't even mention it. He told me that all the short-term and long-term side effects of radiation, and he didn't even mention, again, the loss of function of this organ. And I was... Uh, you know, at that point, I was just okay. This is the way it goes, you know. And I didn't even kind of raise it because I. Um, and then, but in terms of fertility, the main concern uh, was obviously chemotherapy, and um, I wanted to have a woman on my team. And I was really lucky that I, um, there was a a, a um, medical oncologist who um, is around about my age and. She, She's still my oncologist today, and she was so supportive of my desire to have another child. And oh, good! So that was always kept in every conversation about that we had, really, about um, the possibility, you know, that the effect of the drugs, the drugs that she was recommending, what what were the, the chances of infertility and um, um, the uh, hormonal therapy that I was recommended to have, you know, how how that would impact him. So. We came up with a loose plan right from the beginning that I would um, take a break from um, moxifen. This is the uh, anti-estrogen yep. therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I would take a break after two years and try and conceive and then resume treatment um, after a break of, of a maximum of two years. And so that was always, that was in my head. That was loosely going to be my plan. And then I, I carried on then with um, with treatment Um yeah, so she was great and still is a great support. So you were diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013. Mm-hmm. Then you weaned your firstborn a little short of 2016, I guess, right? Uh, no, so I was diagnosed um, March 2013 and I weaned her like three weeks later. Does that make sense? 
Oh, right, right. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I got off the, sorry. I got off the, I got on the three years in the wrong direction. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is why I'm a nurse, not a mathematician. But anyway. All right. So then when did you start the cancer uh, treatment? So then I, in April, so in March, I was diagnosed in April, I had surgery. And in July, I started chemotherapy. And then in uh, October, I think I had radiation therapy and also started tamoxifen or hormonal therapy at that point as well. So I was finished active treatment, you call it, by the beginning of um, or the end of 2013. But I was still taking, I was prescribed tamoxifen for five years. So that would have taken me up to the age of 42 at that point. And if I was to, to then try and conceive after having chemotherapy, and I'm now 42 years old, the chances of con- conception, you know, there could be yeah. considerably lower. Nobody yeah. could tell sure, of course, but it didn't look like no. a great option to wait that length of time. So, As um, one uh, nurse friend of mine told me once, those eggs are getting pretty old there. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And they take a hammering from uh, they chemotherapy. Do. Yeah. So then your hope was that because you had this interruption that hopefully you would conceive during that time. And did you? I did. I was um, incredibly lucky. I conceived naturally um, because I didn't have any, um, the fertility preservation that I spoke about earlier. I had um, a very conservative treatment where I didn't take the the large amounts of estrogen that is required for Uh the the more um, usual type of IVF or um, so because of my cancer being estrogen driven um, right Right. I think it's a gray area like some women do have this um, but I decided not to um, and so I didn't have any um, embryos frozen and waiting or um, but I was lucky I've conceived naturally and so but it still took time you know it took time and um I finished, so I took a break from tamoxifen after two and a half years in the end. And that was spring 2016. And then my second child was born spring 2018. The last year. And and were you frightened out of your mind for the entire pregnancy? Uh, No, I was really frightened out of my mind about stopping tamoxifen. Ah, And that's why, even though it was my plan to stop after two years, I... It took me two and a half to actually stop because I was terrified of, you know, from from not wanting to take this drug to suddenly feeling like this is the only thing that's stopping my cancer from coming back. Oh, and it, oh. it's a security blanket and you feel. Sure. So it was a really tough decision to to interrupt tamoxifen treatment and made made more hard because there is no there is no data on this. Nobody knows what the risk is of interrupting uh, your hormonal treatment um there is a study that's happening right now it's called the positive trial and it's they're still recruiting uh, women onto this trial it's an international study and it's going to answer this very question you know what it, what are the outcomes for women who interrupt hormonal therapy you know um and then resume it again and they're going to track um um women for a long time so that's fantastic i'm so so happy that that trial is, is happening but it's too late. It'll be too late for me. I'm, I'm needing to go ahead. I needed to go ahead without that data. But it's going to be there eventually. 
Yes, yes. Oh, my, what a story. And folks, if you are listening to Kira Devine, and you should be because her story is very compelling and very interesting, uh, don't go away. We will be right back because I'm very eager to hear Kira's story about how she uh, did with breastfeeding her child that had been conceived uh, during this, this period. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso, and I'm here today with Kira Devine. She's telling us about her story of breastfeeding her firstborn, weaning because she needed to have um, her cancer therapy, and then conceiving another baby. And that brings us up to about where we are now. Uh, Kira, what happened? I... I realized that breastfeeding was a life-changing event for you the first trip around. So I've mm. got to believe that you would have wanted to breastfeed the second baby. First of all, how did you talk with your caregivers about that? Or you did you just decide that you were just going to do it and you didn't need their input? How did that work? Um, a bit of both. I did, um, I did talk to them about wanting to breastfeed. And, you know, I was a little... Um, nervy about it hoping that it would be okay um while before I even was pregnant I was um I've been part of a Facebook forum for younger women with breast cancer and some of these conversations will come up especially around fertility and breastfeeding and all sorts of issues related to younger women and I remember being really inspired by one woman who posted how she had breastfed one child um prior to diagnosis and then after breast cancer she had two more children and exclusively breastfed each of them oh, from, wow. from one breast only. So that really inspired me because yes. you know, very similar to my story. I had a lumpectomy and radiation on one side. So it was, you know, it was, a, it was unlikely that that breast was going to produce much, if any, milk. Um, that's Well, that's the best anyone could tell me. And then, but I knew I had one working breast and I knew people, women feed twins and mm-hmm. but here yes. that's some done it you know that really gave me a lot of hope and so um yeah I I guess I was feeling very confident I had a lot of breastfeeding years under my belt but I still um it was still a step into the unknown and I was still feeling a little nervous about how it would go yeah 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 I'm sure so then you did in fact have the baby uh, I'm going to assume you had a uh, natural spontaneous birth. Yeah, I did. Amazingly. Good. Also <laughs> very fast and furious and um, surprised myself. And <laughs> yeah, and she's, and she was born, you know, singing a song. She's great. Her name's Brie and, and she latched on pretty much straight away and there were no issues. Oh, sweet. It got a little sore on day two and I started to panic, you know, but then I just got a bit of help from the midwives about, you know, paying attention to positioning and, positioning and latch. Yeah. 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 But, Cause I suppose my last experience of breastfeeding had been the toddler days when you don't even look at what they're doing. They right. Just <laughs> and I yeah. Of, oh yeah. Actually helped this little baby to get to the breast. So, in a, yeah, in, that's you what know. I call self-service. You know, the baby just kind yeah. of gets on there and <laughs> she yeah. does it and <laughs> you're done, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it sounds like two things. First of all, you were very fortunate that Brie got on, latched on, did well, which had to boost your mm. confidence. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. presumably you just continued, yes? Yeah, and um, then after 
a day or two, another um, uh, midwife said, have you any milk in the other breast? And, oh, I did try. I did. That's right. I did latch her onto the treated breast to see, you know, what would happen, I suppose. Um, but it was incredibly painful. And I just, because, you know, I, I suppose the scar tissue and the yeah. nipple is, you know, smaller. And anyway, I just thought, hang on, I've got one perfectly fun fine functioning breast here. Yeah. And I'm just going to go with that and make sure that that gets established. That was my main concern. I didn't want her wasting time and getting tired on the other side. And I just wanted to make sure the milk came in and it was all going to be okay on the other side, which it was. But it did turn out that I did have some milk. And my oncologist even pointed it out there were some breast, there were some changes to the breast on the treated side. But um, so, yeah. How would um, you describe those changes? Um, so and some increase in size and huh. texture around the um, during pregnancy, not as much as the other side, um, uh -huh. and and then there was a little milk. I could express a little milk, um, but I, I really didn't. I didn't. Need, I didn't really just go down there. I just thought I don't need to. The other side yeah. is doing fine. She's gaining fine. It was all. Let's just focus on what's working. And, then, and it sounds uh, like you did not have any a substantial engorgement in the treated breast. Uh, no, none at all. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, it just slowly dissipated and and actually continued. It really is a lot smaller than the other side now. I mean, that's one of the things that that happens. I think I've, I've heard this on through the Facebook forum that I'm part of as well. You know, you end up with really needing a prosthesis on the treated side because you have so much milk on the other side, and then right. the other has, right. so um, so. But apart from that. Um, it hasn't really been much different to feeding from both breasts. And um, I suppose there's been, you know, I haven't had any option to express on one side while feeding on the other. Or at nighttime, I get a bit tired lying on one side all the time, you know. And But overall, it's I can't say that it's been a, a big inconvenience or a big um, hassle to feed from one side only. I've, you know, it's been... It's been good, and I, I did try to express and store and stash some milk because I, I really didn't know how long I could breastfeed for. At first, first I discussed six months with my oncologist because I'm, I'm, you know, I was nearing the end of my time off tamoxifen. So, oh right, right. So this is always been, yeah, yeah. This has always been hanging in the air, and uh, so at first I thought six months, and I was trying to to express a bit of milk to put it in the freezer, and then. Then we we discussed again, and and twelve months was was deemed okay to breastfeed. So um, that's where I'm at now, and um, I I kind of gave up on the expressing. I thought, well, I've I've done enough, you know. I can't yes. move on. Yes. It's an extra bit of work that I um, probably could do without. And um, but it is possible, you know. Women can. I probably could have expressed quite a bit had I put my mind to it. So it really, and breastfeeding is incredible. You know the the. The adaptability, the resilience mm. is just mm. phenomenal what your body can do. And yeah, um, yes. yeah. Well, and so if you had done the whole pump and save thing, I would have applauded you for that. But the truth of the matter is you've already done a lot. And uh, wow, that's just a level of complexity that you just really didn't need to take on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so good for you that you were able to say, I'm doing my job. It's going well. 
let's just go with what we got here. And boy, I, I give you a lot of credit for that. So then, let's see. Right now, your youngest is a little more than a year old, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And so did I gather that you have or have not weaned her yet? We're, we're going through the process now. Um, okay. So we have more or less stopped in the daytime and nighttime is the next uh, hurdle. Um, so, you know, I've been very sad about it, obviously. Yes. But, um, yes. Um, and hormonally, you get all over the place when you're weaning. And so, and I guess I just have to keep thinking of the positives. You know, though I felt like throughout cancer treatment and having cancer, there's so much has been sort of taken out of your hands and yes. voices. So to have to have done this after cancer, you know, it makes me feel more, I guess it empowered me again to think I can still make choices and still mm-hmm. the things that I can change, you know, I will if, if, if it's right for me and my family. And, um, and she's great. She's healthy and bouncing around the place and she loves food. So I don't think <laughs> it's funny. It's ironic because she, my first daughter would have been a lot more attached to the breast and um, this little one I think is going to be okay, uh, you know, in, in that sense, I hope. Um, all kids are different. All kids are different, yeah. Yeah. So she's, she's far less, um, yeah, she doesn't always need it to go to sleep, you know, so this, hoping it, hoping it will be a bit easier and, um, but I'm really proud that I could do it and um, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'd like other women to know that it's possible. Um, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that there are, there are many women who maybe they have not had a baby and then they have cancer and they're having their first child after cancer. And they're really quite vulnerable. They need a huge amount of support. At least I knew I can breastfeed, you know. Mm, and right. I've been through yeah, that confidence. Of, yeah. And I fought for it at times, you know, to, to make sure that this was people knew it was important to me so but I I do think that women need to have a lactation consultant on their team women who are of childbearing age and who who think that it may be important to them to have further children or first children you know they should be able to have a, a lactation consultant available to them and um and also there are women who have mastectomies double mastectomies who cannot breastfeed they need to be supported you know more so they you know if they want to have access to donated breast milk you know up to any age they should they should be able to and i know the hearts milk bank foundation in the uk oh yes mm-hmm. they, they are yes. donating milk to women for that reason and i think that's fantastic because um it's really uh, important you know to to be able to do that for your baby yes. Doesn't, you know your own milk or some, another woman's milk to be able to, to do that for your baby can be, it can be really healing, you know, after all the treatment and to feel that this is something quite normal that I'm doing, you know, I'm feeding yes. my baby. And so it's, it's really, really important. You mentioned the Hearts Milk Bank and, uh, oh, some months ago I interviewed uh, Dr. Natalie Schenker, who of course is the director, and I also interviewed uh, Jillian Weaver, both women who are uh, the 
founders, I guess you would call them, at the, the Hearts Milk Bank. And both of those podcasts were hugely interesting and from very different perspectives. Mm-hmm. But uh, interesting that you should bring that up. Kira, as I hear you talking, and we've talked for almost an hour here, there are two themes that I really hear loud and clear. I hear a theme of fear, and I hear a theme of achieving goals. Mm. You seem to have had a lot of fear, but you seem to have had a lot of commitment to your goals. How did you finally find the ability to just subordinate the fear and elevate the commitment to the goal? Um. I think I just, I hovered around for a long time trying to make this decision decision to have another child and to interrupt yeah. this treatment. And then, yeah. and then ultimately I thought I need to, f- to just do this. I need to not live my life under the shadow of cancer. And um, I need, yeah, I just need to live my life. And this is really important to me. And, and um yeah, I mean, I wasn't being I wasn't being reckless. You know, I had a lot of advice, and, uh, and my oncologist said to me that the best that the best thing, picture she could give me was was her professional opinion. She said the risk to you is small. And that was mm. it. No percentages given. There was no. That's the best she could do, and I really appreciated that she could do that. But still, so that was what I had to go with. Okay, the risk is small. There is a, there is a risk, and then. Um, but I, I felt like I wanted to, in a way, I also wanted to be a role model to my daughter at, at the time. And now my daughter is just to, mm. to, yeah, sometimes things are scary, but if they are meaningful and important and, and to your heart, then, yeah, go for them. But um, I have to say, I had a huge amount of support uh, from my husband and I'm I'm lucky, you know, I'm very lucky, I'm aware of that. And I think that all women need the support too and deserve it. Oh, I would totally agree. Uh, before we wrap up for the day, I know that you're really committed to the idea that women, particularly young women, especially women who have perhaps never had a baby before, you're really committed to the idea that they need more help. So Mm -hmm. what could any of us do to improve their situation? Uh, Certainly this podcast is one way that is one woman telling her story uh, might be an inspiration to somebody else, but what are some ways that professionals can help? What are some of the ways that mothers can help or maybe husbands, family members, next door neighbors? Give us some tips on what we can do to help here. Um, well, I suppose for, from my advocacy background, I think it's probably an advocacy issue that we need to to build into um, best practice for women with, you know, premenopausal women with breast cancer. They need access to lactation consultants as part of their multidisciplinary team. Team and yeah. lactation consultants need specialist training um, because at the moment there's no overlap. So the lactation consultants mm. are working in the sort of normal healthy pregnancy setting or or yeah. other they're in hospitals with women they're not in cancer wards yeah, so, I would agree yeah so we no, need, no overlap <laughs> yeah bring them in and um 
and and if women don't don't need that support, that's okay. But they need to be available. Um, available, right? Yeah. And I think also there needs to be training for the other professionals, the medical oncologists, the radiation oncologists. They need training to to look at in this in this subset of patients, younger women with breast cancer. Their needs are specific, and they so they need training um, on on breastfeeding and. Also, I think, so for me, it'd be more of an advocacy thing. I mean, for those at home who want to donate their milk to milk, excess milk to milk banks, obviously that's really going to help. Um, so, yeah, finally, I think more trials. We need more trials oh, mm-hmm. or more data on, on all of these issues. Um, they, they, sometimes they don't happen because they're not related to new drugs and they're not going to make money for anyone. But this, for instance, the positive trial so important to women like me you know it's going to give people a little bit of certainty about okay how much of a risk am I taking you know and and um so yeah more trials and more training and more support Oh, most definitely. Wow. This has been quite the day. Uh, I would like to thank all of our listeners. If this has been helpful for you, please go to uh, iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening to your podcast. Give us a rating. Also, please uh, come to mariebiancuso.com. Take a look at our Facebook uh, and also uh, I will be doing a blog that relates to this uh, particular segment. And in the meanwhile, uh, I would like to thank Kira for being with us today. Uh, Kira Devine, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you very much. And to all the rest of you, yes, there will be a next week, and I will have a different guest with a different topic. But in the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.